says, read the same So they would hang it up. They would not listen to what the rabbi said. They always make fun of him. And the Gemara is full of stories of arguments between the Hachamim and the Baytusim and Tadakim. They were not all second Torah was working with Hasanim. Why is the Gemara saying, Abetan Mikdash Shani, Shayyoskim, Batorah, Umizot, Uminut Hasanim? Lama Nihilab. It says Rabbi Diamond, a beautiful idea. And the answer is, because the Gemara is not interested in talking about those guys. The Baytusim, the Tzedokim, the conservatives, the reform, the ones who are not planning to give the Torah, the ones who want to twist the Torah, the, the Gemara is not interested in them. The, the better we not will not be destroyed because of them alone. It's the people who are, are sent by the Torah, and the Mitzvot, that's who the Gemara is talking to. Why? We're all second Torah, and Mitzvot. Why was the Baytusim destroyed? So the Gemara is talking to us. So if the Gemara is saying Sinat Hinnam, it's not necessarily by the Baytusim and Tzedokim. And if they had Sinat Hinnam, I don't know how much it would have affected. It's because of us, the Gemilut, Hasadim, and the Torah, even though we had Gemilut, Hasadim, there was some sort of Sinat Hinnam that needs to be taken care of. So now, really, makes this question a little bigger. We're talking to the religious people. We're not talking to not religious people. Not religious people have their own issues. Let them figure out, you know, we'll figure out how to deal with them. But that's for us now. The Hubban Bet Migdash now is our fault. It is not talking to us. The people are coming to the classes today, and the people are watching all over and listening all over to the classes. We need to understand what we could do or what we need to do to improve ourselves. I'm not going to act like a Navi and tell you the reason why there's a Hubban because of this. You know, the Hazal tell us what is Hanam, and there's always something to work on in different areas. So we want to present a small idea today, Nazat Hashem, to get a little bit, you know, to work a little bit on ourselves, to, if it fits relevant to us. We'll start with the Parashat, Parashat Teshavua, Parashat Devarim. Parashat Devarim always, always is going to be the Parashat that we read before Teshavuah. Always Parashat Devarim. And the Haftarah is always going to be Haftarat Hazon Yishayahu bin Amot. And the Shabbat is known, Shabbat Hazon, Ashkenazi, we make a, more of noise about it, Shabbat Hazon, Shabbat Hazon. By us, we just know Shabbat Dereen, Parashat Dereen. And the Mefarshim already pointed out, there's even Midrash that says that three people use the same word. Three people use the same word, and it all falls down in the same time. The three people were Moshe Rabbeinu, in last week's parasha, and he says the word Echa. The same word was used by Yeshayah and Nabi, in that Haftarah that we read on Shabbat, where he says also the word Echa, and the third Navi, Yirmiyah Navi, he's the one who wrote Megillat Echa. He actually wrote it 18 years before the Hurban. He wrote it even before the Hurban. He wrote Echa Yasheba Badan. Three different Nevi'im, three different prophets that use the word Echa, and it all falls out in the same parasha. We read Parashat Debarim on Shabbat. We read the Haftarah of Hadon Yeshayahu, and then right afterwards we have the Shabbat, which we read today and last night, we read Echai Shabbat Badan. And the question is obvious, there's some sort of connection here. There's a connection that Moshe said the same word Echa, that um, Yeshayahu said the word Echa, and Yemiah said the word Echa. What's the connection between the three Echas that was used from Moshe Rabbeinu all the way? First, let's see where's the word Echa, where's the found? Moshe Rabbeinu says, in last week's Pasha, Aliyah Shini, after he gives the Pirachat to B'nai Israel, Yosef, Hashem Alechem, Kachem, Elif, Amim, and everybody loves the Aliyah, he gives stuff a lot of money in the show. After he says that Pirachat, he says, Echa Etsa Lebadi, Torhachem, Umatachem, Veribechem. That's what he says. 
What's going on? Let me translate. Moshe tells the Jewish people, he's reviewing Jewish history, and he tells them, how could, I, how could I handle by myself all your arguments and your fights? This fight, by the way, we're not talking about fights or punching each other. This fight that Moshe is referring to is a fight in Bedin. Nobody comes to Bedin happy. I once asked a question to an Abedin a month ago. He was a big, big Tamir Acham. Today is a rub of uh, Manchester. So he, he told, I said, you know, maybe somebody has a hakmada on this guy because he went to Bedin with him. He said, I've never been in a case in Bedin where people actually walked out happy. Everybody's always a said, yes, uh, the rub over here. You know, everybody comes to Bedin. There's one side who's going to win, one side who's going to lose, right? So Moshe tells the Jewish people, you know, it was too much to handle all the arguments. So therefore, Moshe appointed judges to help him out. Okay, that's the first echa. This is, we know this from Parashat Yitro. Yitro sees Moshe sitting down, judging the Jewish people. They tell the Moshe, too much on you, too much. You can't do this all on yourself. You know, spread out the job. Every rabbi has an assistant, rabbi, and every place has, kind of, you know, rabbis under him that work. You also, why should you be only the one rabbi who takes care of all the cases? Put rabbis under you. That's the first echa in the parasha. Second echa, Yeshayahu says it. What does he say? Yeshayahu bin Amot, the Malbim says, that it says in the first pasuk, Asher hazal Yehuda Yerushalayim, Bime Ozziyahu, Yotam, Ahaz, Yehetkiyahu. These are four kings. Ozziyahu, Yotam, Ahaz, Yehetkiyahu, father and son. In four different kings, he used to say the same speech. And if you want to hear, didn't have CDs back then, so he had to repeat the same speech. The same speech, he would repeat it in each one of these kings in their generation. He repeats time and time again. Now, um, Yeshayahu, Yeshayahu Navi. What did he say? Where did he say the word Echa? He says, Echa hayeta lezona, Kriya ne'emana. Kriya means a city. Ne'emana means a faithful city. Referring to Yerushalayim. How could Yerushalayim, who was a faithful city, become a zona, lo'alein or prostitute? That's where Yeshayahu says Echa. And we know, Yirmiyahu says, Echa, regarding the Nebuah of the Khorban, Echa, Yasheba, Badan. Okay, so now, the word Echa by us, we all know it's a bad thing. Yom Echa in Arabic, you know, Yom Echa. Anything bad goes, Yom Echa. Echa is a bad thing. It's, sound, it's clearly a bad thing. So I understand Yeshayahu is saying something very bad. Echa, Haytan is Ona. Kiryani Imana. Used to be faithful, now she's a Ona. Let's say this. Yirmiyahu Nabi. Makes sense. Echayash Barad is very, very bad. That's all the ba- problems. It used to be Ayr, the Batyar, Sarati, Bamedino, the greatest city was Yerushalayim. Now, all its allies, all its friends, Yashiba Badad, all the people left, it's sitting alone. Fine. But where's the problem, Moshe Rabbeinu? What's the problem? It's a midvan, the Torah, actually, to go to Beidin and to have the Beidin. There's so many midvot for the Dayanim. And all, it's learned from Moshe Rabbeinu of how he appointed the judges. What was the problem of Moshe Rabbeinu saying, What's the big deal? So what? So you, you appointed people under you? In fact, that was something that was, it sounded like it was good. It was advice given to him from Yitro. It was also something that the Midrash says, he went to the Bnei Israel and he told them, what do you guys think? You know, I want to hire more judges to take care of the cases. What do you guys think? They all said, it's a wonderful, fantastic idea. Why is that echad? The Ashkenazim, when they read this word in the, on Shabbat, when they read this word, they say the time, the tune, the way they say echad, megilat echad. They say echad, you know, whatever tune they have, echad, they say it because it's something very bad. What was so bad? 
to hire new judges, to have another bit in? What's the big deal? So if you look at Rashi, Rashi tells us what was the real problem. Rashi quotes a Midrash. When Moshe Rabbeinu came to the Jewish people and told them, listen, I'm here by myself judging you all day. How, what was all day? Rashi says in Parashat Yitro, Kol Dayan, Shaddan, Din Amito, Asilu Sha'ahat. Right? Every judge that judges a Din Amit, even for one Sha'ah, let's say Sha'ah is really one hour, let's say the Sha'ah is in the summer, let's say it's uh, an hour and a half, two hours, it's considered like he's uh, and it says all the good things about him. Moshe Rabbeinu was only judging for an hour. So he didn't really have a big problem with judging the Jewish people. Right? Rashi says, He was sitting for only one hour. So then Moshe is told by Yitro, it's not good, you're going to wear yourself out. Okay? Moshe comes to the Jewish people. Rabotai, I want to appoint judges that are going to judge you. What do you guys think? Everybody says, Yes, it's a great idea. But why is it a great idea? And she tells us, you know why? Because they said, you know, if we go to Beit Din, and who's the Dayan? Moshe Rabbeinu is a judge. It's very hard to win the case if we're not right. Because why? Then you come to Moshe Rabbeinu, and you start to tell him, you know, this is the case. Moshe says, here's the Din, Din Amito. But when you appoint judges from all over the Jewish people, and there's a lot of judges, 77, 76,000 judges, says, oh, and I have a better chance. Why? This guy is gonna. This judge is gonna be for my shevet. We grew up together. We're friends together. I come to him and I say, Moti, come on. Remember, we we're friends. I'm your neighbor's thing. So now the judge might feel more inclined to what to, f- to rule in the favor of the person coming to the dean. Why did the Jewish people want the new judges? Not because they wanted the dean emit. They wanted it for their own personal reasons. They wanted to win. So says Moshe Rabbeinu, Echa, this is a problem. What's the problem? The problem is when you start to care more about yourselves, more than what's the right thing to do, that's a very big problem that's going to happen. Why? What, what happened? Where's the problem? No, no, Moshe Rabbeinu says, right now we don't see the problem. Right now, you don't see the problem. The problem will, in the long term, you'll see. Such an attitude, when you have such an attitude, even though you're doing everything up halakha, but when you care more that I should get my, what's for me better than what the halakha says or what the emet should be, it's a slippery road where in the future you're going to see a problem. There was no problem in the times of Moshe. 40 years ago in the Midbar, we don't see any problems in this area. Till the Yeshayahu bin Amot comes. Yes, I have an almost comes, he says, What does that mean? What is he talking about? So give me give the mashal. What's the zona? What's the zona? A zona could be a married lady, could be a single lady. A zona is a lady that cares about her ta'avot more than she cares about the right thing. She could be married, but she's running around because this one is offering a better deal, and this one's offering a better deal, and she's one up with one person to another. You were a city that was ne'eman. You were faithful. You were loyal to Hashem. You followed the Torah according to the strict, uh, to the to the dot. You never slipped from the Torah. You were a city that always believed in Hashem. What happened to Bnei Israel? How they jump from one Abodazara to another? The Navi criticizes the Jewish people. They didn't just believe in a different Abodazara. They tried every single different Abodazara. The other goyim. They only have their religion. The people, nation of Moab, only worship what type of Abu Dazara. 
people who worship Baal Ta'ur, only Baal Ta'ur. The Jews did everybody. They, you know, it's like, it's like they have deal in the You go to Israel today, you find food from all over the world. Jews like to do, you know, from everywhere. The Jews in the times of Yeshayahu were worshiping all different types of Abu Dazara. Why? You're still working, so you're not keeping Shabbat, but you're keeping something else. And the answer is because they cared about their ta'avot. They were told, if you do this, if you send a hundred emails, then you'll get berachah ha'atlaha. If you worship this Abu Dazara, you'll get berachah ha'atlaha. If you do this, so they were like, they're not jumping from one Abu Dazara to another Abu Dazara. Where did that come from? What Moshe told them, when you care about yourself more than when you care about what's right, it's going to lead you to destruction. And that's what Yeshayahu sees. But people don't understand. Four generations, Yeshayahu is yelling about this. Nobody's paying attention. Why? Because we don't see Hashem punishing us. So it looks like, you know, Hashem doesn't mind. It's okay. So one day we'll come to Shul, next day we'll go to church, next day we'll go to the Islam, uh, then we'll go to the India, and uh, we'll do all different things. Hashem is fine with it. You know, Yeshaya, calm down a little bit. Comes Yirmiyah and says, Now we see the problem when you cared about yourselves and you cared only about yourselves. So Hashem gave you a taste of your medicine. You cared about only yourself, you'll be only by yourself alone. You cared only that you should get your says You want to be by yourself? Do you want to do your own thing? Go ahead. You care more than you care about me? You see that even the people that you cared about, even the nations you ran after, you ran after Mithraim, you ran after uh, Moab and Ammon, and you tried to defend them, read the Nevi'im. What happened to them? All the allies, when they were getting disorbed, nobody picked up a finger, nobody bothered, nobody cared to help. The old prophet Sitkiyahu, the last king, we're behind you. Don't worry. You go get the Mukhanetar. We'll help you out. They're the ones who told the Mukhanetar that Kiyah was talking bad things about you. And that's when the Mukhanetar came. Yashid Abadad. You care by yourselves more, says the Navi. You'll be by yourself. Who warns us about this? Moshe Rabbeinu. Echa, Echa, Lebedi. And now we can understand the Echa, Echa, Echa. The three best things. So this is really the source of all the problems of the Jewish people. The opposite of how they're supposed to act. There's a Rabbi, Rabbi Where? 
The word Echa comes up in the beginning of Parashat Bereshit. Where? Adam Harishon, Ayeka. And when Adam eats from the Eta Da'at, Zohar says, the same word Ayeka and Echa, I don't know what the Zohar is trying to say, it's a Kabbalah, I don't understand, but I know that he links it. But we can understand the connection now. Echa is representing when the Jewish people care about themselves more than they care about what's right. What did Adam Harishon do? Adam Harishon was told, don't eat from the Eta Da'at. Hafa came and told him, Fire, Josie, you know, listen, it's a great idea, it's a good deal. I think he internet that we've come like Elohim. Then Hash is a good he's a good guy, you know, he's trustworthy. Hashem gave him so much power. If you listen to him, we're gonna be great people, Hashem will love us even more, right? Uh dear listeners, we're now moving to a life uh, with Rabbi Wallerstein. And uh hold on, please. Our dear listeners, some uh, technical problem between the 
lectures, shurim, Rabbi Wallerstein and Rabbi Uri Nahum, some uh, problem with technical, we're just coming back soon, in a minute we'll fix the technical problem. Yeah. 
we go and ask them, should we make a big deal about this or should we not? Should we sometimes make noise or should we sometimes be quiet and sit on the side? Let it pass because it's going to create bigger problems. This was the mistake of the cities over here. They made big deals about small things. And even though sometimes they were justified and sometimes they were right. And the Gemara says, deeing they were right, but they were wrong. And therefore, because they were wrong, and created a tremendous Hurban. Rabbi Schwab, so let me just tell you how Ashkenazim works, but Ashkenazim, that some places haven't been had, only one person says Kaddish. By us, everybody, anybody who needs to take Kaddish, take Kaddish. By Ashkenazim, only, some, not everybody, only one person is allowed to take Kaddish. And who is allowed to take Kaddish? The person who is the Hazan. Or Daven for the Amun. Now, how many fights happen because of people, in, when you have two people on the same day, they have a yard site. And this guy wants to take a dish for his father, and this guy wants to take a dish for his father, and sometimes the guy is in Abel for an entire year, and all the fights happen. No, I'm supposed to go up. No, I'm, 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 I'm an Abel, and there's big fights. Abel Shwab, I'll have a shalom. Abel Shimon Shwab, he has a book, Sefer called Miami, the story. And uh, he used to be in Germany, and then he moved to, um, I forgot, the Washington Heights. He used to live in Washington Heights. He told this kid before he passed away, he says, when, when I pass away, I don't want any of you to daven for the Amr. Which means I don't want you to be Hazan. Now, being a Hazan, saying Kaddish, it's to the benefit of the Nafal. What did he say? I don't want you to be. Why? He says, it'll be a greater zakut for my, for my neshama if you don't fight and you give it to somebody else than to you to stand for the government. And usually, if you're going to come and you're going to say, I'm here to pray for my father, everybody's going to tell you, but they can get offended. No, it's not worth it. Therefore, he told this kid, I don't want you to doubt for the I heard this from one of my rabbis in Yeshiva Monty. He was a student. He was very, very close to Yaakov Kamnetsky. Yaakov Kamnetsky was also one of the Gidole Hador, very on friend with our Moshe Feinstein, very famous Gadol. And Looking in his photo album back then before the digital pictures, actually people printed out pictures. Okay, so they actually, so he was looking in the photo album and he saw that in different weddings of Yaakov Kamnetsky's children, they saw that the way they march, you know, we march, we have the Hatan and Kala walk in. Hatan walks in with his father and his mother, and the Kala walks with her father and mother. Some Ashkenazim have two fathers walking with the Hatan and the two mothers with the Kala, some mixed, whatever it is. So he saw in one picture, that Yaakov Kamenetsky was his, or he's walking with his son by himself. Another picture, he saw the Yaakov Kamenetsky and the Kinsway girl walking together. Another one was Yaakov Kamenetsky with his wife. So then, Rabbi, what's your minhag? What's your minhag? Do you walk together? I don't understand. Is your minhag is that you do it with your wife? You know, because I see from the pictures three different minhagim. Says my minhag is whatever the other five minhag is. How many fights happen when preparing for a wedding? I know a guy, he got engaged in his 30s, and he broke up two months later because they were fighting which fall. And the mother said, I know how long I waited for this wedding and we're going to now make the wedding in this hall? Obviously we got married, but to make a fight about which hall to get married in? But I'm right. You know, for all her other kids, she did a wedding somewhere else. Why for me does she have to make a wedding over here? You're right, but you could be wrong. You're right. I, I understand. If you go to Beijing, Beijing has to rule halakha, then you're right. If you want to stand up Beijing, maybe you're right. But you could be 100% wrong. And Gedolim understood sometimes these things. You could be 100% right, 
but sometimes, even if you're right, you're actually 100% wrong. It's a minhag, it's a din, you're right. You can't argue with the guy. You can't argue with such people. But you could be 100%. Why? Because we care more ourselves first before everything else. Now let's make it a little bit more practical. Sometimes people will say, you know, I'm 100%, I have to let them know. There you go. I have to let them know. I'm right, and they have to know about it. I had a friend like that. I had a friend who, you know, I always used to get like, I used to get like, you know, get nervous for him. He, everything, you know, he had to let know everybody. If he came to a restaurant where everyone had to eat, and there were a bunch of guys, and something was not done, you know, he ordered a certain dish, and you're right, it's supposed to be 100% well done, it was 100% well done, it was 80% well done, and he's like, hey, I have the right to speak up. He'll eat it, and then he'll go over and say, listen, you guys didn't do this in this time. Okay, you want your money back? No, but I have to let you know. So, you know, I, I don't know. For me, I didn't grow up that way. It would always bother me. Now it's so many. But, you know, making a big deal. Am I right or am I not right? Okay, you're right. But uh, not the way, you know. Not everything you have to let everybody know. No, sometimes it's better just swallow it and that's it. He opened up his own business. Oh, did he learn his lesson? <laughs> he realized that if you tell every customer that you're actually right and the customer is wrong, you lose the customer. Not worth it. But then he learned, he, he told me one time, he says, you know, after his business was already running for a while, he says, you know, I learned that some people you just can't tell them. I said, yeah, wow, what'd you learn about? It's like, you know, sometimes I tell these customers, they come and I explain to them why they're wrong. And then they just give it back. They give back the idea. Oh, they finally just want to leave. And I, I, you know, I don't understand. But yeah, sometimes you're going to be right, but you're wrong. Yes, you're 100% right in halakha, and you know, you're going to swallow it, you're going to lose, but it's worth it in the bigger picture. I'm going to say one more last example before we finish with the Gemara. One last example sometimes, and maybe to the crowd here, I'll apply to you a little bit more. You know, sometimes, as rabbis, I would tell you, we have to deal with a lot of shalom beneficiaries. Young couples come and they come. Sometimes I find that as much as we could fix, sometimes the problem starts really, started from the beginning of the fight, and the parents, when the parents make a bigger deal than what it is, a girl is not being treated well by her husband. 100%, her husband is wrong. Sometimes it's not such a big deal. And if mother wants to show her daughter, I'm on your side and I agree with you, what? He did that to you? He, that's wrong. Your father would never have done that. I, I was with you for 50 years and never ever raised his voice. We don't do such things in our family. You are right. It's not right. But when you tell that to your daughter, that gets stuck in her head. And the issue could sometimes be solved in two minutes and then it's explored. Because sometimes, let me tell you what happens with the kids. Sometimes the kids are convinced that it's right, but then they feel that they have to stand up for their parents' rights, especially young couples. You know, because what of their parents? And the mother said, you know, there's tremendous good at the end. But the mother or the father said something and they feel like, you know, I can't let him go. I can't let my husband go. Or I can't let my wife go. Sometimes you meet a very innocent. And sometimes they'll say, what did she make you for me? Oh, what did you have for dinner tonight? Oh, eggs and, uh, and, uh, and bread. Eggs and bread? Too hard. Eggs and bread? Who made eggs and bread? What's the big deal? Oh, my six-year-old can make eggs and bread. You know, okay, but you know what? The girls in our generation are different. Yes, they need a chandani five days a week, and they only have one kid. Okay, it's a different generation. When you make that, when you point that out to the, your son, he comes home. Maybe not the first time, not the second time, but over time, he'll come home and say, what are you doing all day anyway? What am I doing all day? And, oh, okay, here we go, now the fight. And then by the time it gets to get fixed, so much happens. And again, I know the ladies don't mean it. 
and they, I tell the, the guys, when your mother makes a comment about your wife, close the door. If it's not a good thing to say, you have to tell her, mom, I respect you and uh, all the things, but don't make a comment. If she asks you what you have for dinner, why? Because you can't hear it, and then you come back and you don't look at your wife differently. You're right. Yeah, you're right, but you're wrong. You could say something and it makes a lot of and you, you, you might be convinced that I'm going to help him. That's the way to help him. Sometimes, you know what? Let them learn from their mistakes on their own without you sticking in. One more small thing, sorry. And sometimes if something is small, like we said, don't make it bigger than it is. Tell them, oh, you're right. It's wrong, but yeah, there's parts like this. Even if you never have such a fight, even your husband never ever yelled like that. Yeah, your father used to be like that, and then, you know, oh, Hashem, over time. Don't worry, it's not a big deal. It gets fixed. Every couple in the first five, ten years has this issue. Everybody has issues with Panasa. Everybody has these kind of things. Woof, if you only know the stories, you can make up your lot of life for Shalom. This is, again, don't make up lies about certain people, but don't make these issues bigger than this. When you, but, you know, sometimes people say, what do you mean? Am I right or am I not right? You're right, but you're not. That's the same thing with all these stories over here. There's a minhag on minhag. There's a minhag, but it's not supposed to be done. You have to look at the bigger issue. When you're right and it's going to cause a bigger problem, that's not the way it goes. And a lot of the times, not because we're right, it's because of our ego. Our cover, what do I mean? I have to say, I know because it hurts us if I don't open my mouth. If you really want to open your mouth, go take a mirror. If your husband's right, come take your husband and tell him whatever you want. But otherwise, more than that, it could cause other problems. The Gemara says, concluding the whole stories of the Shabi Av and Gitin, talks about the Hubban Beit Amidash. It says a story that I think summarizes everything that we spoke about. I'll say the story quickly so everybody knows this. The guy talks about a story about a carpenter, a guy who used to work with wood. And the guy who was making a good one. And he had a beautiful wife, and he had somebody learning under him. And this person who was learning under him was, got very jealous of his boss. So his boss was wife, and he, was, he, wanted, he wanted his wife. How did he get him to divorce his wife? And this guy was a religious guy. So what did he do? He came up with a beautiful plan. He came up, he spread rumors about his wife. He spread rumors about his wife. And now rumors started spreading. Nobody knows where it started from. And now there's already small, there's bad rumors about his wife. And now the guy suspected him. So what happened? The student, it looks like he went out on his own. And the carpenter was once in need of money. He needed some money. He needed to borrow money. So he calls up his old student. He tells him, look, I borrow some money. He says, yeah, sure, how much you need? 10,000, no problem. Send your wife over. I'll give her the money. He sends his wife over. He does something that makes sure that his wife doesn't go back home right away. She doesn't go back home. No, no, I'm not happy she doesn't go back home. The guy is waiting a day, two days. His wife is missing. He goes over to the guy. He tells him, listen, uh, my wife came to pick up the money. Did she come? He's like, yeah, she came two days ago. I gave him the money. And that's like, where is she? I don't know, but I heard that, you know, the same rumors. That's what's happening. But, how could she do such a thing? He says, listen, well, my wife divorced her. I would, but you see, I'm borrowing money from you. I'm long cash. Get to buy You have to pay certain money. Don't worry. I'll lend you the money. Get rid of her from your house. So he gives him the money, and he gives her the get, gives her the get to buy money, and she's divorced. What does this guy do? Waits a couple of months. He goes and he marries her. Now, the student now has his boss's former wife. The guy says, now this guy seems to have good money. The guy was so poor, he couldn't pay back the loan. Because there's a big loan for the Kituba and the original loan. 
So he comes over to his talmid and he tells him to his student, he tells him, listen, I don't have money to pay for the kids to buy. What should I do? He says, no problem. I'm such a nice guy. I'll do you a favor. You know what I'll, I'll do for you? You could work for me and pay off your debt. He says, what do you want me to do? You could be my butler. Work in the house. I'll give you some things. Don't worry. I'll pay you. The president of the game, one time, he was bringing, he was serving them drinks. He came to his former student and his former wife sitting there laughing together. And he came with his cup. And I think about that time it clicked in his head the whole story of what really happened. And he started crying. And those tears went down in the cup. As they came around, that's when Hashem decided to give Better me, that's going to be the story. This is the story in the Gemara. This is the last story in the Gemara. Why did the Gemara end with such a story? And the answer is what we said beforehand. The Gemara says, If you run this story, was there anything wrong that the student did? He lent the money. He got divorced. Okay, so he said a little rumor. Look, he's suspected. He's giving you good etzah, right? So really, you can't catch the guy that he did anything wrong in halakha. And if you ask the student, he'll say, oh, such a bad heaven. I lent him money. I helped him get rid of the shah in his house. And Hadith of the lady, she was by herself. You know, I helped him almana. She's like an almana. I, I, I helped him get married. And he couldn't pay him back. Oh, such a bad heaven. I said, you could work for me. <laughs> the guy, meanwhile, is the biggest rasha. The shrine was destroyed because of him. But he justified himself. Why? Because he feels I am right. I did what's right. But sometimes not always are we always right. That's why Pinhas went over to Moshe Rabbeinu and he asked him, what are we supposed to do? That's why Moshe Rabbeinu was upset when Benay said, what did you go to the other judges? There's a Moshe Rabbeinu, there's a leader. You go up to the leader and you ask him. To run away to look for our own personal reasons before doing what's right, that is what Moshe Rabbeinu warned us about. That's the first echa. And as that Hashem, we hope that won't be a will be just Amr Hashem Yoshe Betah Hamadan.